Hello and welcome to the 8th grade weekly morning meeting podcast. I'm your host and dean, Desiree Bear. This week I'm joined in the get to know you section by 8th grade social studies teacher Gita Holdsworth and Spanish teacher Daniela Beta. We will also be talking about ways to accept and improve in times of failure as well as covering the word of the day. Let's begin. Last week, we talked about bridging the gap between caring for our physical selves and our psychological selves. We ventured into one of the big psychological injuries we face, failure. Today, we will be looking at failure in a positive light. I remember in third grade, my teacher at the time had the class show multiplication facts by standing up one by one in front of the class. As each of us stood, she asked us a multiplication question. Very distinctly, I remember that I was asked what eight times seven is. Immediately, my mind blanked. I started to get sweaty palms, my heart raced, and I could not seem to find any air in the room. What did multiplication even mean again? As tears welled up in my eyes, I sat back down without saying anything. I remember this so distinctly because failure hurts, just like getting kicked in the shin would hurt. Now, I could have gone home and told myself I was bad at math or that I would never amount to anything, which I'll admit, both things I have told myself many times. But instead of accepting my failure, I made it my mission to be the multiplication extraordinaire. I wrote multiplication facts on post-it notes and placed them all over my house so that I would be forced to practice these facts constantly. I'll admit, it was a dreadful process, but I did learn something great. I learned that failure is not the opposite of success, as many think it is. Failure, instead, is a part of the process of success. I have continued to fail throughout my life, and I know that I will continue to do so for the rest of my life as well. It's an inevitable part of being a human, and I am sure that each of you has failed before, and that each of you will fail again, many, many times. But that's great! I love that you're a failure. I love that I'm a failure. I love that we have the higher consciousness to be able to learn from and embrace our mistakes. But just by saying, oh, I can learn from this, doesn't just make failure easy. Oh no, it still hurts. But it hurts because our mind does something awesome in that it has a feedback loop. Just like we know not to touch a hot stove because we can imagine the harsh burning sensation on our hand, so we learn emotional responses by feeling emotional pain when we do something wrong. But just because it's wrong and just because it hurts is no reason to stop trying something. It just means we found a way to not do something. Our mind has these reactions as a way to teach us and to help us improve. The belief that you have the ability to improve is called the growth mindset. What are ways to develop a growth mindset? Well, I am so glad you asked because I have 25 growth mindset tools for you to add into your toolkit. Your first tool is to acknowledge and embrace imperfections. Hiding from your weakness means you'll never overcome them. Another way is to view challenges as opportunities. Having a growth mindset means relishing opportunities for self-improvement. Another way is to try different learning tactics. There's no one-size-fits-all model for learning. What works for one person may not work for you. 
And that's the beauty of our learning, that we have the ability to try things and find out what does work for us. You can also follow the research on brain plasticity. Yes, I said brain plasticity. That is a thing. The brain isn't fixed, it's a muscle, and it needs to be worked out. And just like the brain isn't fixed, your mind shouldn't be either. Another thing you can do is replace the word failing with the word learning. When you make a mistake or fall short of a goal, you haven't failed. You've learned. Another thing, and I find this one hard personally, is to stop seeking approval. When you prioritize approval over learning, you sacrifice your own potential for growth. You can also value the process over the end result. Intelligent people enjoy the learning process and don't mind when it continues beyond an expected time frame. Another part of this is to cultivate a sense of purpose. Carol Dweck, one of the main researchers that coined the term growth mindset, also showed that people with a growth mindset had a greater sense of purpose. So keep that big picture in mind, not the small things that are happening. You can also celebrate your growth with others. If you truly appreciate growth, you'll want to share your progress with everyone you meet. Emphasize your growth over speed. Learning fast isn't the same as learning well. And learning well sometimes requires allowing that time for mistakes. You can also reward your actions, not your traits. Think about doing something smart, not just being smart. It's all in the actions and changing what you do. Redefine how you think of genius. This myth has been busted. Genius isn't natural. It requires hard work. Portray criticism as positive. Now, you don't have to use the term constructive criticism, but you do have to believe in the concept that criticism helps you improve. Disassociate improvement from failure. Stop assuming that room for improvement translates to failure. It just means you do have room for improvement, and that's awesome. You get to keep learning and keep trying. Another thing to do is to provide regular opportunities for reflection. You should reflect on your learning at least once a day. I tend to do this right before dinner. I think about what I've done for the day, what I did well, and what I didn't do well and I can improve for tomorrow. You should place effort before talent. Hard work should always be rewarded before inherent skill. And highlight the relationship between learning and brain training. The brain, like I mentioned before, is just like a muscle that needs to be worked out. So those math skills, that's just a workout. It's a dumbbell for your brain. That reading a novel and learning new words, just kettlebells for your brain. Now, cultivate determination and hard work. People with that extra bit of determination will be more likely to seek approval from themselves rather than from others. And wouldn't you feel much better if you liked yourself? I know I would. Abandon the image of naturally smart. You know, naturally smart sounds just about as believable as talking dogs. You won't achieve the image if you're not ready for the work. Another way is to start using the word yet. Carol Dweck, one of the main researchers in brain science, says that not yet has become one of her favorite phrases. Whenever you are struggling with a task, just tell yourself that you haven't mastered it yet. Learn from other people's mistakes. 
Now, it's not always wise to compare yourself to others, but it is important to realize that humans share the same weaknesses and to look at those weaknesses that others have as your own and to learn from them to make us all better. Make a new goal for every goal accomplished. You'll never be done learning. Just because your unit test is over doesn't mean you should stop being interested in a subject. Growth-minded people know how to constantly create new goals to keep themselves stimulated. Take risks in the company of others. Stop trying to save face all the time and just let yourself goof up now and then. It will make it easier to take risks in the future. Think realistically about time and effort. It does take time to learn. Don't expect to master every topic under the sun in just one sitting. It's going to take a lot of practice. And lastly, take ownership over your attitude. Once you develop a growth mindset, own it. Acknowledge yourself as someone who possesses a growth mentality and be proud to let it guide you throughout your educational career. Now, I hope that some of these new frames of mind can help you to see failure as a part of the process to success and an opportunity to learn. And I hope you see success as a step to just another failure. But of course, as with all things, even this type of thinking does not come naturally. You must practice it to get better at it. And now is my absolute favorite portion of this podcast, the get to know you section. This week, I am joined by your 8th grade social studies teacher, Gita Holdsworth, and your 8th grade Spanish teacher, Daniel Abeta. I know that these last a bit long, but it is definitely worth the listen. First of all, we have Mrs. Holdsworth, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned so much about her and how conscientious she is about things that are happening in the world, around her, and globally, as well as what is happening within her. I definitely enjoy this conversation, and I am sure that you will too. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mrs. Holdsworth. Please introduce yourself. So I'm um, Gita Holdsworth. I teach middle school social studies. Um, this would be my third year at Bosque. I was here for a while, and then I left and came back. To pronounce her she her hers um, and in general this is my 30th year of teaching wow that's awesome okay well thank you for joining me mrs holdsworth now my first question for you is who is your hero people are heroes to me for a lot of different reasons but i think that people who stand out to me are the ones who have courage to stand up um in the face of real difficulty and at, at peril to themselves because they think something needs to be righted. And of course, I'm a history teacher, so I'm going to go into history. So people like Gandhi and Dr. King and Malcolm X and John Lewis are like the four names that come to mind. And anyone who's in my social studies class also knows the women who pioneered, you know, the Black women who pioneered um, the NASA program, right? They made the Hidden Big Fools movie about them, but it's the fact that they did it anyway, you know, and that's the important thing is the anyway. Like, it, again, at great risk um, and great adversity sometimes, um, 
And again, if you start delving into the lives of these heroes, they're not perfect, right? People like to tarnish them. And it's, it gives some people great pleasure to go, yeah, but they weren't perfect. And it's like, that's why they're heroes because they weren't perfect. They're human beings who did a great thing or a couple of great things. And I always find them inspirational because I don't have to be perfect to do the right thing. I absolutely love that. And I especially love that you mentioned the not having to be perfect because it's true. No one is no. perfect and you can right. still make impact and stand up for what's right and what you believe in. Absolutely. Now, I right away when you said uh, Malcolm X, have you read the biography? Yes. It's actually one of my absolute favorite books, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. Yes. It is such a great book. And in fact, I'm going to have a total giveaway. The eighth graders are going to read it this year. <gasps> oh my goodness. I would love to reread it with them. Oh, cool. Let me know and I'll give you a copy who's there because it's one of those books, right? From a teacher perspective, it's like, oh, we can look at a lot of things that were happening in terms of the United States. But the other reason why I think that's a critical book is, is because it gives voice. Um, that's Malcolm X's voice. Um, the other thing I think is really important about that book is you get to watch someone develop and progress and more than anything reflect on their life. So that, yeah, they did amazing impactful um, things that changed the way we think about race in the United States in a really important way. But they did, the text itself is about reflection. And that's part of how we learn is by looking back on what we did and it informs what we do. That is also one of my favorite books to revisit. Oh my what are some of your other favorite books? Um, so some of my other favorite books is, so when I was in college, I majored for a while in French philosophy and literature. I didn't last very long in that program just because it got kind of tiring after a while. But um, so one of my favorite, favorite books is Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert. Um, oh. And it's, it's a really simple book from the 19th century about a woman who is really dissatisfied with her life and makes a lot of poor choices actually. Um, it was considered a very scandalous text at the time. It's not very scandalous by modern standards. But again, it's, I think I have a thing for flawed characters. I love that because not to say you're flawed, but we're all flawed. I love when you can see yeah. yourself reflected in those characters. Exactly. And that you can actually create great art from flaws. Absolutely. Yeah, right. It's like sometimes you can see that even flaws can be turned into something, not just teachable, but really can be turned into something like appreciative. Absolutely, especially when you go back and reflect on those. I love that. Now, you did mention studying French philosophy. What, what <laughs> yeah. led you to that? <laughs> so when I was in high school, I actually, like I always tell the kids this, I went to a school that actually was a lot like Bosque. Um, and so the language, because I grew up in New York, so the most common languages I got taught were French and Latin. So um, just because New York borders Canada. 
And so I took French for many, 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 many years and I studied French literature in high school. So it felt like a really normal thing to do when I went to college. And for about a year and a half, I threw myself into my French studies. And all I could think is, not not my cup of tea anymore, <laughs> I think. So I um, switched majors, but um, I still have a love for certain books in French. That's so fascinating. I love that you had those different influences of like the Canadian French culture coming in from where you grew up and how that influenced your life. Do you, do you still speak French? Um, barely, barely, barely. I found myself on a student group in to, to, um, to France a few years ago and like somewhere from the recesses of my brain, I had enough French to get around but everyone said, oh, you sound like my grandmother. And I was like, yeah, because I was studying 18th century French. So sorry. Um, I can still read it, you know, but not speak it. it I, you know, I kind of like dead languages a lot better because then you don't have to say anything. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, what kind of languages? So I learned Latin and Sanskrit too, you know, and I love those languages, but what I really love the most is you don't have to speak them. You can just <laughs> them. Now, Sanskrit is fascinating. It's a cool language. Yeah, it's one that like I knew of and learned little bits here and there when I was little in like religious school. And my grandfather was a Sanskrit scholar, so it's in it's in the family. Now you mentioned you know some of those influences of why you went to. French philosophy, and then you also mentioned your grandfather, you know, being a Sanskrit scholar. Um, so it definitely seems that you have a lot going around you and that tends to influence who you are, like, like many of us. Uh, now, what would you say maybe is one of your favorite family traditions? Um, I would say, goodness, we, you know, so my parents were immigrants from India. So a lot of the family traditions that we had were ones that they brought with them. Um, I think a huge one for me is, you know, every fall we have Diwali, which is the festival of lights. Um, and it's a Hindu festival. And my mother always made it a big deal because it was a big deal in, in my, um, especially in her house. Um, so it's like new clothes and sweets and um, all kinds of different um, ways to celebrate a lot of time for family. And so that's one that actually my daughters still do. We still do it at, at my house. That's fantastic. Looks like we have time for one more and it's my absolute favorite question. All right. If you came with a warning label to warn oh, those God. you have just met, <laughs> what would your warning label say? I think my warning label would be, I actually, um, and I, it doesn't show up, up I want to just give it a, a little caveat to students, but it's like my warning labels, I actually have a pretty short fuse. And it, the only place where it doesn't show up is in my classroom. Um, I've worked on that for, for 30 years, but I actually, um, it's the one place where I can actually have patience, but you can ask my kids and my husband, as soon as I step off this campus, my patience goes out the window. My warning label would be like, careful, she bites. <laughs> I love that.
I also love that you're very conscious about where it shows up and that you've worked on it. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's actually, this has been really great for me too. Um, I don't think I normally would have had this opportunity to get to know all my colleagues and those I work with. So this has been really fun. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Bear. I've like, enjoyed this conversation. Joining us next is Spanish teacher Daniela Beta. In our conversation, we connected over our shared Hispanic cultures, and I really appreciated how Senora Beta is connected to family and the people around him. I enjoyed this conversation, learned a lot from it, and I am absolutely positive that you will as well. Thank you for joining us, Senora Beta. Please introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Daniel Abeta. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I've been teaching, this is my fourth year at Bosco School. How long have I been teaching in general? Let's see, this is my fourth year teaching middle schoolers. I taught three years of elementary school and then two years of high school. So about nine years, I guess. It's gone by fast. Wow, so you've been, you've kind of taught all the ages. Yes, yeah, and actually I found a lot more commonalities than you would expect. They all like candy, they all like music, they all like competition and games. I think maybe those are like human experiences. <laughs> so I know I love candy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite candy bar? Ooh, it always changes. Now chocolate is my favorite. But for some reason, my favorite candy bar is actually Payday, which has no chocolate in it at all. <laughs> nice. I like Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Ooh, yeah. Good choice. Thank you for joining us, Senora Beta. Now, who would you say is your biggest hero? I know it's kind of cliche, but my dad, he has always been very patient with me, and he has always been very kind and spending time with me and encouraging me in whatever it is that I'm, I'm pursuing and passing down a lot of traditions to me that I've been able to pass on to my family. So I would say he's been a hero in, in that aspect of just being present. I, I, now that I'm a dad, I realize how hard it is just to be present, like just be with your kids. That's awesome. I love that you have a hero that's someone you can look up to and that's there, just present in your life and someone that you can still talk to and you actually get to meet. Now, when you were talking about your dad, you said something about all the traditions that passed down. What would you say is one of your favorite family traditions or recipes? One of my favorite traditions used to be <laughs> La Posada, which we would celebrate um, every December. And my grandpa, my dad's dad, used to lead that for the whole community here on the west side. And he passed away a few years ago. So anyways, that there's no more leader. It wasn't passed on to anybody. It's really, I think it was his generation that really led it and did it. You have all these musicians involved, it's all in Spanish. And it's just, it's just something that he maintained for a long time. So anyways, that was my favorite tradition, but um, I would love to try and figure out how to, how to bring it back, you know? And then favorite recipe, I would say is I just made picante the other day with my mom and it's just this my, my grandma so she passed away as a sophomore in high school but 
I hear stories that she had a, a certain chili and salsa for a different type of chili and salsa for every single meal. And so she would make her famous picante for like chicken soup. And so um, I made some picante with my mom a couple weeks ago. We roasted the chilies and she, she helped me, you know, do all the ingredients. So that was fun. I'm actually super intrigued about all the different salsas for different meals. Sounds like you definitely like cooking. That's, that's definitely important to you and your family. It has a big piece of those traditions to who you are. What would you say are some of your other hobbies? I, like, I love to run. I go running every Wednesday with a buddy of mine at 6 a.m. I was just telling my advisors about that today. And we went oh. to a little race, like the last 300 meters, we just looked at racing each other. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Um, so I enjoy running. I enjoy um, reading. Love to read. I love camping, being outdoors. My son is really into puzzles, so I like puzzles. <laughs> My son is really into um, Captain Underpants in Spanish, so guess what we're reading? Capitan Calzoncillos. <laughs> um, oh, so, I love those books. So yeah, and then my daughter, Adelina, she's two, and um, you know, she really enjoys going on her scooter. And so we, we go to the park after dinner. I love that. I love that you're getting out with your family and that a lot of those hobbies revolve around family. Now you did mention that reading is one of your big hobbies. Do you have a favorite book, one that you just revisit over and over? Oh, that's a great question. But if there's one that I, I read every day, um, it's related to my faith. So I know that we're, we're a diverse school and not everybody has the same worldview, but for me, I'm a Christian. And so that's a book that I read every day that I really enjoy. This summer, I read a book called about the Coman Comanches, like the history of the Comanches out here. And it was called The Empire of the Summer Moon. And that's one that I would highly recommend. I really enjoyed that book. Awesome. I definitely wrote down that Empire of the Summer Moon. I think I'll be it's checking that one out. It gives you the good, and bad of the, ugly, the good, bad, and ugly of both sides, the Texas Rangers, and the Comanches. So, you know, they all have their complexities and ah. their issues that they dealt with. So I like it. It's good. My final question for you is my favorite question. If you came with a warning label, what would your warning label say? Okay. When my wife first met my family, we met in college, all right? And so I invited her. I was like, hey, you know, my family gets together on Sundays. Would you like to join us for dinner sometime? And so she's like, yeah, sure, right? She hops in the car, we go to my grandma's and all the aunts and uncles and all the cousins and everybody's there, right? And, and they just like mob her. <laughs> and so I would say she, she was overwhelmed with that experience, right? And so I would say if, you, if I had a warning label, it would have to be <laughs> something to the effect of like warning, explosive energy. It would represent that experience that my wife had when she first met my grandma. I love it. I love it. My, my husband says the same thing about my family. <laughs> awesome. I love that you're definitely a people person and I love your own natural inquisitive nature. That's something that just spreads out to everyone that you meet and talk to. And I really love that about you. Thank you so much for taking the time, Senora Veta. It, I actually learned a lot about you too. So this is, this is actually one of the coolest things I get to learn about each of you too. Thank you for having me. Thank you for this podcast. Uh, shout out to all the Bobcats out there listening. 
<laughs> and um, yeah, let's go Bobcats. Have a great year. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> All right. But really, yeah, thank you. This is awesome. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the questions. Yeah. Off to another meeting, huh? Yep. I have my dean's meeting in a couple minutes, so. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for all you do. Uh, I'm so sorry about that email I sent out to the advisees and their parents. I was like, man, I should have just sent that out to the advisees. Oh, no worries. Rookie mistake. <laughs> You're not the only one that were oh. this uh, to schedule. I have to check it like three times a day just to know what's happening and what's not happening. And yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, take care. We'll talk right. to you soon. You bye too. Bye. bye. Today's word of the day is rhetorical. It is an adjective meaning of or relating to rhetoric. It is characterized by language that is elaborate, pretentious, insincere, or intellectually vacuous. Today is letter writing day, and it is all about paying tribute to the age-old form of communication, letter writing. Letter writing day presents you with a great opportunity to reconnect with people that you may not have spoken to for quite some time now. It also helps you to think before you write, with modern connection forms, we don't tend to reflect or think before we communicate with someone. However, a letter gives you the opportunity to do this. So definitely think about writing a letter to someone today. And finally, I will leave you with this week's quote. Look deep into nature and you will understand everything better. A quote by Albert Einstein. <laughs>